Welcome to From the Heart podcast with Daniel Groom, he, him, Don Lister, she, her, and our guest today all the way from America, Reggie Hubbard. Welcome, Reggie. We are delighted to have you as our guest today. Um, Reggie says he is a yoga activist, a teacher, and a citizen of the world. We are super excited to have you with us. And I think this conversation is going to be rich, engaging, and hopefully going to widen a few minds. Welcome. Thank you. Let's go for it. Happy to have you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, thank you, Reggie. Um, let's check in uh, how we're all doing. So, Daniel, how have you been since I saw you five minutes ago? How have you been this <laughs> yeah. just, we've just fallen out of a, a meeting preparing a retreat day so um yeah we have, have for, our, for our guests how have you been this week i am yeah i'm doing good thank you dawn i actually uh, we had a really good meeting earlier because we've turned we've we've changed the way that we're meeting up haven't we dawn because it's been too much business for us and not enough practice and taking care of each other so we we start the end and our meetings now with the yoga nidra we were just like what a great thing to do <laughs> get in the headspace you can be creative you can be relaxed we ended up talking about all the things that we needed to talk about not much work which is exactly what needed to happen wasn't it so I feel very blessed to have you as my business partner and to have had two yoga nidras one from Tracy Stanley and the other one from Uma Dinsmore Tully so we were we were um, really blessed to have those practices and have a productive meeting so it was very nice so yeah haven't got much to share with you Dawn <laughs> a lot of work <laughs> lot, lots of things going on but I'm really interested and excited to be here with Reggie today and um, yeah looking forward to this conversation how are you doing Dawn? Yeah I'm good I love the yoga nidra meeting plan I mean I, 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 we said at the end that I think all meetings everywhere should now begin with yoga nidra because um that creative space that opens when you're not in your fight and flight mode, when you're nice and calm, it, it, and the wisdom that comes up. You know, I think we we got so much decided in like 20 minutes. It was ridiculous. It was just, it was perfect. I mean, I, I love a nidra, any excuse for a little lie down. I'm, I'm there, and, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm still, I'm continuing the upward trajectory out of long COVID. I feel well. I'm energized. I've started laughing again at things, not just at dark things. And yeah, I feel really good. I'm feeling like I'm in that place of reassessment about, you know, what I want to do with the next 10 years of my life. And yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. And also very excited about this conversation with Reggie. Oh, and one good thing, my youngest daughter told me this week, she's moving out. I'm so excited. And I'm going to say for her, but also for me, because I'm going to take over her walk-in wardrobe and have it as my own. And also, you know, at 21, you need to be out of the house doing your thing, you know, not having your mum wandering around going, put that vape out and no, you can't have someone back and all that rubbish. She needs to go and live her life and get messy. So fly high, sweet Madeline. I'll see you on the other side of chaos because I'm sure that's what's coming your way. <laughs> Reggie, what about you? What have you been up to? How is the world? Yeah, so I'm in the mountains of Colorado. 
um, in the middle of nowhere. In fact, um, all I have is a wireless internet connection uh, that works sometimes. I mean, I mean we're, in, we're in a good space right now um, to have our conversation. Uh, and this is my gift to myself. So uh, I've been in the middle of a whole bunch of craziness for seven years, and most of it's been delightful. Um, but I haven't had a chance to digest. And in the, in the States, it's a Black History Month. Um, so as one of the few black teachers, um, of profile, um, I did what most people would think antithetical and like my black history month gift to myself is to go to the mountains and be by myself as opposed to being on call and being like everyone's resident Negro. You know what I mean? Like don't mind it sometimes the black history month, there are a whole bunch of books out there. You can figure it out. Um, I'll be back in March. Richie, I was just going to say, I identify as a queer male. And it's LGBT History Month in the UK. I'm, oh, doing exactly, I'm doing exactly the same thing. I haven't said anything. <laughs> no social media, no Facebook. I'm like, I'm doing this 364 yeah. days of the year. Today's my yeah. day off. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, yeah. was my, that was my gift this month to myself. And I kind of did it unconsciously because I, I was... I, I was aware that it was coming up and then I was like, actually, I feel really fatigued and I feel yeah. like I've given so much over the last year already mm -hmm. that actually I need to step back and let other voices come through instead, you know, so totally hear what you're doing there. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Reggie, can I just ask before we jump in, you yeah. said you've been in amongst a whole lot of stuff for the past seven years. I mean, as, um a black man as a yoga teacher yeah what, what's that been like for you can you say a little bit more about that yeah it's been buck wild right because seven years ago i wasn't practicing yoga at all right you know is that right so yeah so 2014 uh 2015 i just got started um and uh started at the age of 40 uh to not curse out my boss like i wasn't like i'm gonna like become enlightened i was like i need to like take this temper and dial it down a bit because this lady's going to catch the riot act and the Magna Carta. Like, you know, you shouldn't, you don't need to be treating people this way. And, um, but I was like, I can't do that. So I've been going to this yoga meditation thing. Um, and y'all, it has been the best return on investment, um, known to mankind and womankind and however you identify kind, right? Like it's, uh, very, very long story short, that investment of yoga, um, in November, 2014, was when I when I took my first class. Um that job I took, I got fired via text message. Um and after ten months of being practitioner, ten months, I went from Captain Curse out to I want to because they asked me for an exit interview because they were just like crazy like that. And I was like, y'all treated me whatever. I don't think we need an exit interview. Y'all know good and hell well we don't, but I want to thank you for how poorly you treated me because you gave me the wisdom to deal with adversity with grace. And like that just rolled off the tongue. I was like, this yoga thing, what? You know what I mean? I thanked you for firing me via text message for the wisdom that you gave me. You know what I mean? So like that's how it began. Um, and then it went into like the Bernie Sanders campaign and then the resistance against Donald Trump. Um, all like weaving together yoga, meditation, and social justice because it's it has been the best investment in all of all of my life. So the more I pour into myself, I can serve other people, more I can serve other people, lives are changed, the more lives are changed, society changes, as opposed to like railing against a raising railing against a machine with a whole bunch of like cynicism, just offering hope through my lived experience. 
wow, that's incredible. What journey. So what, right. what was it at that point? You know, it sounds like you were going through a really hellish time at work. And yeah. what was it that made you think, I'm going to try a yoga class? So the um, on the 9th of November, 2014, that, 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 that's the, the, the first class I ever took. I remember the date. Don't know why, but I do. Um, a friend of mine asked me to go to um, yoga with her because um, <laughs> I've been in a really ridiculous, uh, this kind of, my life is like a combination of the sublime and the ridiculous. It's just kind of how everything goes over here. Um, but I was up for two really high level jobs in the Obama administration. I was up to either be the deputy uh, chief of staff to the education secretary or a the deputy international secretary for international education so like big time stuff um y'all i went i made it to the top two for both got neither oh my god you know what i mean like that's like heartbreak hotel motel villa timeshare whatever like it's, it's the whole property complex and uh, so I had started like a wellness thing. I was running and stuff. Um, but for whatever reason, like I made a vow. I was like, so I broke my heart. I went into like the dark night of the soul because I was like, how? Oh, woe is me, blah, blah, blah. And um, snapped out of it super quickly. So two weeks as opposed to like two years. And um, made a vow. I was like, I'm only going to do things that are artsy, lower my blood pressure, and just are curious. Um, so my one friend was like, you should come to yoga with me. I'm like, artsy, blood pressure. Sure, I'll try it. So that's how it started, right? Basically from heartbreak, I was like, because all I was doing was like writing in my journal, going to like Dolly exhibits and like doing like cool artsy regenerative stuff. Um, and my, my job search was going to a Dolly museum and then writing in my journal and then taking a long walk. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get on the internet and apply to 19 jobs and the Delta inverse metrics. Nah, yo, I didn't do any of that. What, um, what was it after that first class? Because it fascinates me. What was it that kind of that happened in that class and then the, the sort of subsequent waves of, you know, of mm -hmm. what you experienced that made you want to go back? Well, one, I was curiously sore. Right. You know, I mean, you know how it goes. You're just like, you know, I, I, it was it was like a Hatha style class. I'm like, how in the world am I so sore and I haven't left this like six by this is crazy, you know. Um, and I, I really honestly, I don't know, like uh, Daniel, because it just it was like a, a switch was hit. I was like, hmm, OK, this is OK. I'm not too torn up. All right. I'll, let me try it again. And then, you know, I was I just went I just went all in. It's amazing. It's amazing that the transformative effect that's had on you. And I love how you speak so eloquently about this This change happened to me. And because I continue to feed me, I'm able to support others. And I think that's the thing that for me that really, really jumped out when I saw I came across you on Instagram. And mm. I, your, bio, your bio said, and I'm going to read it, it said yeah. creating healing spaces to seed personal evolution and inspire societal transformation live wild and free and i read it and i was like oh my god that is this dude right speaks <laughs> to me this this man you know he's got something and it for me it felt heartfelt it felt hopeful and mm. i thought for me this is a movement i'd want to be part of so can you say 
you know, we've heard a little bit about how you personally got into the practice, but can you say what brought you to begin this movement that you're speaking of and, and how that plays out in real time for you right now? Yeah, great question. So um, a little bit about Active Peace Yoga. Active Peace Yoga was um, born of the pandemic, right? I wasn't teaching um, because like, why would a, a plus size black dude teach a yoga class, right? Isn't it just for skinny white chicks? I mean, at least, you know, so like, I didn't see myself in the teacher's seat. Um, so I, I, I went to class a lot because like it had become... Um, just a remedy and an elixir and, and, and all these things um, through like the Bernie Sanders campaign. I was kind of floating through on like this yogic bubble, like, Reggie, can you do this short? You know, just like all this stuff was happening. Um, and uh, then I took my teacher training during the pandemic while working in the resistance against Donald Trump. So I didn't go to Bali or some of these other places to get my teacher training. I took my teacher training while trying to defang the dragon, you know what I mean? So like for me, teacher training um, was intertwined with social justice. And I took my teacher training because I was like, for the amount that I'm going to put out, I've got to carve out time to put into myself. And then like, that was just like um, an instinct, more of an instinctual thing. And then um, it was like that instinct bore a tremendous return on investment in that um, I was able to eliminate a lot of the self-destructive tendencies that I had in my previous political experience. And so because of the ability for me to go through the resistance against the orange monster and to just be tired and to have like birthed a teaching practice and all these sorts of things has shown me like the more that you invest in this ancient wisdom and in yourself, it's as if you're reconnecting the source and you're just like getting all the muck out of the way so it can just like channel beautifully through you, right? So to answer your question a little bit more specifically, um, I wasn't teaching to, until the pandemic hit. The pandemic hit, um, I saw my opportunity um, and I saw the opportunity because in the studio, in the studio model, no shade on studios, I grew up in studios, right? But the studio model, you have to look a certain way to attract a certain clientele, to teach a certain blah, 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 blah. That never appealed to me. Um, but when it's live and direct, all I need is this computer, like a stable internet connection, and I can be like, yo, like it was like a, a complete opportunity for me to talk unfettered um derivative of my experience and as a counter you know as an activist and an organizer uh, you're always looking for opportunities to counter program or offer counterculture and so when the uh, pandemic hit and i was like oh i can also talk about how these yoga people sit on their ass and don't do shit um, so I can like basically like put the holy fire into this spiritual practice. Um, that's how it came about, Dawn. I was like, okay, so this is broken. I'm a but, and then that was the intent. And then George Floyd was murdered and all these other things. And so I was like, okay, so now that it's here, I'm here. I was just reflecting on um, what you said about you know your the the sort of the catalyst of you feeling you could teach was just needing that computer and yeah. already straight away you've got an audience of people and I've noticed through hosting a lot of um, queer based yoga conversations classes there's mm. so many more people that are coming to those sorts of things now because one there's a sense of safety because you can hopefully do it in your home where right. there is 
potentially more of a sense of safety. Um, yeah. However, you know, we need to respect that isn't the, the situation for everybody at home. For sure. Um, but being able to connect with people globally and being able to to just have a platform that doesn't cost an awful lot to be able to run, as in a studio that you know Dawn yeah. and I have got, and the expenses of it is 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 ridiculous. Yeah. And you're right, you know, it's the same in the UK. There's a blueprint of certain types of people that go to studios and that teach at studios, and that rhetoric needs to change. We yeah. need to get off of that, you know, and 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 this is why Dawn and I have just, you know, really tried to have conversations like we're having now with people that are actually calling it out and saying this isn't right, you know, things yeah. need to change, you know. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, another thing I'll share about that too, um, that, that your comment brought up is that um, I I teach the unteachable, right, or what people perceive as unteachable. Like I teach people in um, the IATSE, the Theatrical Stagehands Union, um, and part of the reason that it's accessible is because I'm a big dude, you know what I mean? And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of, not irreverent, well, yeah, I'm irreverent, who am I kidding? But like, yeah, I, 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 I'm not like... I'm self-effacing, and if I fall, so what? You know, like, it, the, the whole perfectionist myth um, has allowed me to teach, like, school children and union folks and, like, activist folks. Um, you know, I teach activists as they are in stressful times because I'm like, listen, this is what yoga's for. It's for when, the, when shit is upside down. And um, you need to either perfect your upside down practice or you need to figure out ways to shift your perspective. Like that's what it's for. It's not for like maintaining status quo. It's for when the inevitability of change manifests, how can you work? How can you manage that? The last thing I'll say about living wild and free, I got to say this, otherwise they'll get to me. Active Peace Yoga has two patron saints. One is Jimi Hendrix. The other one is Prince Rogers Nelson. So the creative influences of my practice are strong, creative black men, right? So like Jimi Hendrix is more like the fire in the belly, you know, like the, the iconic image of him setting his guitar on fire and being like, let's go. And then Prince is like the dance of Shiva, you know, so I'm just going to create and step on ignorance and just like to dance and just do my thing. So the two patron saints of active peace yoga are Jimi Hendrix um, and Prince. So Jimmy's wild and Prince is free. Love that. <laughs> Prince is like my, just, he's, a, he's an absolute idol of mine. His, his way that he sort of straddled his gender identity and that kind of sexuality and, you know, he was getting away with all this stuff and you just think, you know, like people were, people were, he, he felt almost like untouchable, didn't he, in a way, because the mm. music was so good. It was like David Bowie as well. The music was so good, they could get away with expressing yeah. themselves however <laughs> they wanted because everyone was like, oh, the music's the thing that we're paying attention to. But actually, you know, the way that they presented themselves and, and, and cross those gender boundaries are just, you know, for me. Epic, yeah. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> can I uh, can I dig a little deeper? Thank you for we're never gonna do this in an hour. We're gonna have to have a version two, but can I can <laughs> I dig a little deeper into you spoke about how you you kind of became an not your not became you were already an activist, but you used yoga yeah. throughout sort of the the Trump campaign and as an activist and so on. What was that like? Because I know for me 
are sitting over here watching Trump particularly mm. was difficult. It was yeah. hard. I, I, I remember just sitting the night he was elected, sitting in my lounge with my husband, and we sat up till we both fell asleep on the sofa. And I'm going, there's no way he's getting in. Don't be ridiculous. Like, people are not that ignorant. They're not that stupid. Nobody hates everybody as much as he does. Sure, of course, everybody can see that he's a narcissist. Yeah. And my husband was like, you're mad. Like, not everybody right. thinks the way you think. And no. I woke up the next morning, and I, I literally, I was dumbfounded. And I right. and I didn't have to live in it. You know, what was, yeah. what was that like yeah. for you? How did that... Well, How even did, I mean, it rocked my inner peace, you know, yeah. the part of me that just, it made me question so many things about people and about the structures in which we live in. And right. I kind of wanted to, I find myself wanting to remove myself from everything and kind of like go and sit in a rock in a cave somewhere and just be like, you yeah. know what, I'm done with this, this crap, I'm off. And, and, and I'm not even in America. So what was right. that like for you guys? Well, the crazy thing is that um, that is what my physical self said. But I, it, by the by the time that he won um, slash Secretary Clinton lost, um, I was in such a groove spiritually. You know what I mean? I, I was in such a, a I was in such a space where most people wanted to uh, escape it. Um, I was in meditation one day and felt unequivocally go home i'm from washington i was living in colorado at the time uh go home be near your family and get directly in the middle of this and um i it was unmistakable i was just like okay right? here we go man and so um it's as if i felt not beckoned, but like definitely called to serve. And like, um, so when I dove into the heart of that, um, I made it like, I would say the truest definition of Sankalpa, which is like manifestation of the soul's desire, right? So like my Sankalpa was to do everything I could to end this in as, as um, short of a tenure and duration as possible. And so part of that Sankalpa was getting so deep in my yogic practice um, that external circumstance became oblivious. You know what I mean? Like I was so rooted in peace. Um, that's how active peace came about um, is because like in these concussive events of the Trump era, um, I was always in the room, the guy that either had his beads out and was just kind of like whatever, or would go into these situations like super peaceful, um, fearing nothing. Um, because that's, and, and I even said this in a, in a conversation I had with someone a couple of weeks ago. They were like, Who's your greatest teacher? I'm like, Donald Trump. Wow. And they're like, What do you mean? I was like, I wouldn't be this yogic meditative beast because of him. You know what I mean? Like he awakened like the ignorance, the um the, the hatred. Um, and it's as if like the love bomb inside of me was just like we ain't going out with that. You know what I mean? And so it's just like his awakening and his ascension, like, is part and parcel of my awakening and my ascension. And so, like, absent his unleashing, whatever the hell just happened. Um, there is no Reggie offering teacher trainings. There is no active peace yoga. There is no, I'm dedicated practitioner, not teacher. Like Donald Trump unleashed within me a spiritual depth, um, that allowed me to look him in like his ideology in the face and just kind of be like, 
We're going for you, man. I'm not scared of you. Wow. That's that's powerful. My um on my the te- my teacher has been for many years, Ram Das. And uh-huh. um who sadly obviously passed a few years ago. And and I okay. know that on his altar, Trump had a had a place every yeah. day. He said something similar. And I remember thinking, Oh God, I'm so not there. <laughs> I wasn't so there not- until I was. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. So how how did that, you know, you being able to hold that space and yeah you know, moving those circles. How is that reflected? You know, you speak you speak about, um, you know, yoga studios not being places that you feel welcome or that you, yeah. you know, you don't see yourself reflected in those spaces. You know, you, I, I, I so agree with you. I think, you know, people, they are very white, middle-class, blonde, skinny women on Instagram or men with their yeah. tops off contorting themselves, which is, <laughs> as we all know, the tiniest part of what a yoga practice is about. And in actual fact, I would go so far as to say, you know, any kind of contortions or is, is, are kind of all equal ed anyway, so they don't have a place really in a yeah. true practice. Um, how, how, you know, that's Daniel and I speak about this a lot about, you know, wanting to re- not reform, reform is the wrong word, return to the essence of what a practice is about. How, how do you see, you know, where you are in terms of, you know, moving towards or returning to what a, a yoga practice should be? What, you know, what's, What's your role in that, if there is one? Yeah, so I teach Hatha mm-hmm. um, by by design, right? Like, um, it's more approachable. Um, I can teach a Hatha class to people in chairs, mm-hmm. you know, um, or, like, people who are chained to their chairs or those sorts of things. So, like, the, the style I teach, but I mean, I also offer, like, Prince classes, which are buckwild asana with like handstands and headstands and stuff. Like, there's also that. But like the one, the main style I offer is hatha, slow and mindful, um, linking breath, mind, and spirit, so that people have that transcendent experience and see that as the goal, um, as opposed to oh man, I'm so fat, I can't do this. Blah 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 blah. No one has time for that. Like you know, uh, the my goal as a teacher is to consistently and I've done this recently with a lot of the grief stuff I've been talking about is that hey um these practices are meant to be used in real life real life is not um I got hella followers people liking my stuff because I got on tight pants and I'm repeating like the same sutra everyone talks about you know what I mean like so for me I tr- and I did this and still do this in some of my active peace stuff. Like there's a form that you fill out to answer questions for the theme that I'm working with. That's Svadhyaya. You know, um, like I need you to know that I'm not your typical teacher. I want you to engage. Um, and so if you're not, if you don't want to fill out the form, then I'm not your guy. Like if, it, you know, I, I had a woman tell me yesterday, I taught a power yoga class without using the wrists. Right. And she was like, that gave me everything I needed. And I I was like, why? If you don't mind my asking, she's like, because you have shown me the true power is spiritual. Yeah, that's that's what I want to teach. Right. And so everything I use, whether it be music or like my cadence or just the offerings is so you can get a glimmer of the spirit is who you is, what you truly are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that being there being, you know, every individual has their own pathway towards 
the God or yeah. their inner self or the Atman or whatever we understand mm-hmm. it in the, you know, the systems that we've been brought up in. Yeah, for sure. But fundamentally, you know, there is no, there is no right or wrong way to get there. It's about being given the opportunity to have the space and the support around you to be able to explore what that journey and pathway is for you. And, and, and also what it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Knowing when you need those boundaries, when you need to push away, when, you know, when you need to take that rigid sense of self-care really deeply that actually, you know, that's when you really start to learn this stuff, isn't it? And I think, you know, what I was reflecting on Reggie is as, as when, when you're doing that internal work and the yoga sutras say this, there's a natural evolution then as yourself starts to become more settled in your, your knowing and who you are, yeah. And that connection with God, then of course there is a need and a want to want to support those around you or those societally or those that are in a in a in a in a marginalized group that you witness real pain and suffering within. Yeah. Because that is the path of yoga, isn't it? That is, you know, that's where it takes us to. Yeah, and what I tell folks too, um, and it's it's one of the things, Dawn, that um, is is kind of a deeper answer to your question is that I was raised, and in, in, in Daniel, you talked about this a bit too, like the things that we're, we're taught. Excuse me, I was raised in the Christian church, um, so that is an unavoidable aspect of how I was raised. Um, and rather than try and wish that it never happened, you know, you take the good, you release whatever, um, because that to me that's what the spiritual path is about. My yoga practice made me a better Christian because I was more focused on service. I was more focused on like being of service. Um, all, a regular portion of like active peace yoga is like is dana. So like we we give from proceeds to to serve. Like I don't even call my yoga stuff a business. It's a service, right? So I'm I'm very particular with that. Um, and my Buddhist practice has made me a better yogi. Right. So like the mindfulness practices of, of, of the, the, the Vipassana tradition and the Zen, the Zen studies that I've done have gotten me so tight in my meditation game that I'm able to like filter, sort, transmute all these sorts of things to be a better version of myself. And then from that better version of myself, I offer from those to other people. Um, and so to your point, Dawn, like that's the movement I'm trying to like elicit is that just like, how do these practices make you feel? Mm-hmm. I don't, the analysis, you know, like none of us are like Vedic scholars. So like our analysis is kind of whatever, but like, how do they make you feel? And is it a feeling that you can share to lighten the load of someone else? Because like, if that's the case, then here's how we can do that. Like if you, if it's just about like super likes on Instagram, I don't give a shit about that. You know what I mean? I never cared about that to begin with. Like, like for me, and I'll share another thing quickly in terms of like the practices as it, as it has unfolded for me. Um, I recently had a very traumatic loss in my family. I lost the equivalent of my brother in October. Uh, suddenly he passed in his sleep and um, it was the first death in my family of a peer 
um, or someone who was younger than me who we're going to grow old together. Well, we're not, right? So that grief was so visceral for me that, and I was in a heavy teaching moment, I was, I felt compelled to share that, you know, and part of it was like catharsis, but the, the, the biggest portion of that was that because of the pandemic, we're all grieving something. You kidding me? Something. And if you're denying, you know, the Buddhist practitioner in me can't be in delusion and denial. I can't. If I, if I see it in myself, I got to call it out. If I see it writ large, I think that's part of my activist practice as well. I was like, this is delusional. And so the couple days after we placed my, my brother Corey in the ground, uh, was Dia de los Muertos. So November 1st, All Saints Day, those sorts of things. I held a virtual sangha on All Saints Day, Dia de los Muertos. 61 people showed up to hold space for grief. And that showed me something in terms of like what I offer as a teacher. Um, first of all, I was pissed. I was like, how are, how are other teachers not doing this? Like, like, why are you offering another damn vinyasa training? Like, you know what I mean? The, like, that's not, you know, there's a, a, a preacher in the States um, called Tracy Blackman where she was like, she said this on social media recently, where she was like, if your offerings are not in keeping with the people's cries, what are you doing? So as a teacher, I can hear the cries of grief. I feel them. It's, it's like a clairsentient experience. And so... If I feel them and don't offer, that's on me, <laughs> right? So that's why I offer these sorts of things. And so that is what I hope to offer as a teacher. Like, however you can be of service to the times to lighten the load of people in these ridiculous times globally, that's what we should be doing. Like, you know, like not, we don't need to be on retreat. We need to find refuge in one another. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that and on my condolences for the loss of your brother. That's really, really heartbreaking. I'm really inspired by your desire to even in your grief to reach out and make space for community. I mean, that's a sign of a real yogi with a strong practice and a, mm -hmm. yeah, and a deep and a deep compassion. Could, could you speak a little bit more about what you mean about that? That's that holding space for grief in terms of a, a practice. What what was what did how did that look? Yeah, so we have a in the West, um, someone dies, everyone goes through the ceremonies, and then you, people expect you to be over it in two weeks. Um, what? <laughs> First of all, huh? Uh, second of all. Um, we honored the so a, a, a skeleton of the uh, the shell of the class is that we honored the well i talked about the uh, mythology around dia de los muertos like it being an indigenous ceremony that honors the full spectrum of life which is death you know like because we die is how we have life it's, it's inextricably bound. Um, so another thing I should share is that I was an existential philosophy major from Yale undergrad in the, in the States. And so like, I'm super nerdy when it comes to like um, existential crises and these sorts of things. And so like, I don't mind talking about death. I've been kind of brooding since I was 14 years old. And so like for me to hold space for grief is to acknowledge that death exists, that it happens when you least expect it. But what does that even mean? Because 
because you should expect it. Like not from a morbid sense, but it's coming. Um, and it is the opportunity um, that allows you to, death is what gives life the opportunity for presence. You know, not getting caught up in the stories and the, all these other things. So we were, we honored grief. We honored death. Um, we put people's names into the space that you that you that you lost or that you were grieving or that you were still holding space for held a little bit of ceremony like I had one of my bowls that's up in the meditation spot now um that is a, a sound I have a, I play a lot with sound um and so it's like a singing bowl um from either Nepal or Tibet that uh is like 400 years old this thing is so old but it has like, it has such a pure cadence that it allows you to be present and it, and so I play some of that to offer like ceremonial reverence for the dead. Um, and then we celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. So offering space for grief in all of its complexity. Um, and I also did something a, a couple weeks ago, a winter blues meditation, um, holding space for grief because like in most parts of the Northern hemisphere, it's super dark, you know what I mean? And that's just, that's just um, in terms of the, uh, the land, like not even talking about like the heaviness of our lived experience right now. So mm -hmm. like one of my teachers was like, Reggie, I think you've hit a a, 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 a heavy vein here. I was like, I, it's not that I was searching for a vein to be of service, but if my, op if the stuff that I offer gives us a chance to normalize grief, which is inevitable, you know, my grandmother who I still have um, said, baby, if you live long enough, you're going to lose something. Mm -hmm. Right. So rather than run away from grief, I seek to normalize it. And so you don't have to feel ashamed to still. So if someone died six years ago and it still like eats at you. Yeah. Right. Of course it does. Right. So giving space for the normalization um, of this in yogic practice and in Buddhist practice world. Um, I think is essential and, you know, part, like it's, it's part of my revolutionary, like lifestyle. Like I can't sit and look at something that doesn't make sense and pretend to, and try and make it make sense. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel quite inspired actually. I feel like I've made a little note. Like I think we need to talk about holding a grief space, Daniel, really. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm still grieving the pandemic, you know, my, yeah, for sure. the loss of my time. I lost some people, you know, the, the, there's so many losses. There are so, so many losses, loss of things I believed in that were really shaken. Yeah. And so I feel like I might have made time in supervision to talk about that, but I don't know. I'm sure that that's something that as a community that we offer is something that we could do. Um, I think... What I love about what you said was, you know, you spoke about if you're grieving, however long you're grieving, it's fine. And let's not hide it. I've, I've spoken to a few clients this week. You know, I work as a therapist as well as a teacher. And, and they are going through a grieving process and they're really struggling with why am I not past this yet? When am I going to feel differently? And, you know, the conversations we've been having around, interestingly, around, you know, also Buddhist myself, is around this idea of things change. Like, but you know, you have to go with the flow. Sometimes, you know, things feel overwhelming and other times, the, you know, you're at peace with them and the, nothing is static. And, you you know, the minute you resist, there's more suffering. So the way we end our suffering is to fully immerse yourself in the arising experience. I think the problem we've got, whilst that's a truth, is that perhaps we don't know how to be in that arising experience. We don't know how to do that safely. 
there isn't a safe place to do it. I think in other cultures, they embrace grief and death in a different way. As you say, there's ritual and celebration around it, it's spoken about. It's very sanitized in the West. It's like, we don't see it. We don't see the body. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about how we're feeling. We're expected to get back, as Daniel was saying, get back on with it, you know, very quickly. So I, I think you've really hit on something important and vital. And and for me, that's what yoga is about. Like, what's the point of it if it's just standing on your head? Like, what's the point if it doesn't change your life and it doesn't change your community and it doesn't touch every aspect of being alive and transitioning into death and 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 everything else? Daniel, I think you wanted to jump in. Uh, I, uh, I, yeah, I was kind of going down the similar sort of line to you, Dawn, in terms of just, you know, being so aware as, as Western people that grief and death and dying is so sanitised and mm. pushed away from our everyday existence because of fear. And we need to talk about not just the death of people, but the death of relationships, the death of situations, the death mm. of, you know, ev every everything that changes has a start, a middle, an end, and then it's gone. And then it transforms into something else. And, you know, the Buddhist practices tells us this, the yoga practices tell us this. I'm sure if we looked at other indigenous practices, they would also say that as well. And a lot of religions do. But there's a real emphasis on being fearful of that process. And actually, the sooner we all recognize, yes, at some point we are going to expire. And what you do in these moments and what legacy you leave is going to be far more important. Yeah. <laughs> and to embrace the life that we've got rather than, getting caught up in this othering that just feels so, you know, so present in Western society at the moment. Yeah. The, um, the, the other thing I'll share about the grief stuff is that um, we're not meant to do it alone. Like it's, it's perfect for Sangha. It's perfect for community um, because it's the, here I go with my organizing stuff. It's what we have in common. Like what we have in common and Lama Rod Owens talks a lot about this is that like suffering is the great equalizer, right? So rather than treat it as an opportunity, rather than, oh man, woe is me, woe is me, it can be woe is we. And if it's woe is we, there's, there's, there's strength to that, right? There's like a normalization of the grief experience that allows what is being lost and released to become somewhat composted and from that rich soil new stuff can emerge so what you talked about daniel when you were like something it, it lives middle end and then it transforms if we don't honor the end it can never transform that's why shavasana is so important in an asana class you know that that's why like the still mind is important in meditation right because like it's that stillness that allows whatever composting that needs to happen to create rich soil from which something else to emerge. And so 
I, if I can, if it can be said this way, um, addressing one of your former questions is that when the pandemic hit, I saw the opportunity to smash a system that wasn't, that wasn't serving other people and not only smash the system, but smash it in a way that it can like create new opportunities for people to have space. Um, more for me, it was more for students because <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, I forget that I'm black. I don't really care. Like, I just live my life. People remind me of what I am and what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, oh, that's cute but I'm not there anymore whatever you know what I mean so like but to be this embodied of this gender of this size of this color in this dharma is is the stuff that shakes up the world right um and it's, it's just about having the courage to step into you know truth has its own cadence and it's it's it, the truth is permanent right it just we just need to speak it if we don't speak the truth, it can't stand. It stands on its own, but it needs to be spoken first. And so I'm just hopeful whether it be the grief stuff or the activist stuff or like I've gotten mindfulness stuff into workplace safety trainings for unions because your mental health and how you feel about your you is integral to how you perform at your job. You're so, so right. These new things can only come from the destruction of old things. Yeah. You know, I might thank you, Reggie. I'm mindful of your time. There's a couple of, um, there's two more things I want you to do, but I want yeah. to firstly make sure you've got time to offer us a practice. Yeah. I feel happy to offer just a couple of minutes of practice. Would that be okay? Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you offer. What is it you're going to offer to our listeners? So one of the things, the best gift that I can give anyone as a teacher is a glimpse into consciousness in your true being, right? So um, it's in that spirit that I want to offer like a, a body scan and a mindfulness meditation to be present with what is, name it, and then release it, right? So that's been essential in like the grief practice that I have individually, but that I've also been offering collectively is that like you can't release what you don't name. And when you name it, it takes it from an othering and it kind of makes it less object and more subjective. Or I mean, less subjective and more objective. And it's in that objectivity that you can give yourself new space. One, one quick story I'll share is that um, I put on Instagram recently that um, the past several months I've been a functioning depressive because of the concussive losses that I've been experiencing. And that only happened is because I talked to one of my friends and she was like, yeah, man, I haven't heard from you in months. Like You're depressed. And I'm like, Oh, you know what I mean? So like when she said that, I'm like, oh, that's why I've been sleeping so much. You know what I mean? I was like, I it, it just clicked. And then I was like, oh, so I need to drink more water, get out in the sun, um, dance, play. Like I bought a gong, <laughs> you know, like, like so all these things to shake up my energy to get out of the depressive, whoa, right? And just and shake it up. But had my friend not named that, I would still be like, why am I so tired? La, la, la. And, and I offered that because I was like, even wisdom stewards like myself are human and you need your friends to be like, yeah, you're depressed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You know what I mean? And, and, and so it normalized it. So anyway, I'll offer a body scan um, just to get in, in tune with the body and then what remains will through the breath will release it. So the invitation is to take a seat that allows you to be relaxed, alert, dignified and at ease. 
Maybe you shrug the shoulders back and down to create space in the chest to allow for a deeper breath. Maybe you open and close the jaw. Maybe you soften the gaze or close the eyes altogether. But over the next 20 seconds or so, work the edges, work the margins. Like, so get into the shoulders a bit. Maybe you take the chin to the chest and take ear from side to side. Just get into the edges of your norms and break the habits of the conditioning of your physicality. So broad chest, soft face, ears over shoulders for alignment of the spine. Eyes soft or closed, whichever is your, your comfort. And notice how even in that little bit of guidance, your energy is shifted. Perhaps you're a little bit more present, a little bit more in tune with this moment. So from that presence, however you have taken your seat, feel the ground beneath you, not as something you step on, but as something that holds you up. Anyone who's ever been in an earthquake knows that stable ground is a blessing. So feel the ground beneath your feet as a sense of stability and support, as opposed to our normal extractive mentality of us walking on it. It is from whence we came and to which we will return. And from that solidity that you feel in the soles of the feet, may you also feel that in your seat. Slight engagement of the abdomen to support the low back. And from the grounded sense that you feel in the seat and the feet, where is the breath in the body? Notice the texture, notice the temperature, notice the location. And in community, let's take three breaths. I'll count them out at a, at a pace of five, just to willfully take a deeper breath and get in touch with the magical, magical life force of the breath. Then inhale through the nose, five, four, three, two, one. Pause and hold. Full exhale out the mouth. Inhale, five, four, three, two, one. Pause and hold. Full exhale out the mouth. Inhale, five, four, three, two, one. Pause and hold. Exhale out the mouth. Now offer yourself gentle inhales through the nose, out through the nose for the next minute or so. Notice how the mind perhaps has softened when we focus on the grounding and the breath. 
And from this expanded awareness, use the tool of the breath. So if you've got extra tightening in the chest, on the exhale, soften there willingly. Or maybe you soften the soles of the feet or the jaw, the shoulders, the crown of the head. They're using the tools of awareness, presence, and breath to release residual tension, being more present with the miracle that is you. Last breath or two, using the exhale as a tool to soften, inhale as a tool to brighten. For those who have escaped the body a bit, perhaps pressing the tip of the tongue to the roof of the mouth to reground you in your somatic experience, less cerebral, more somatic. Press the palms together at heart center. And really press into the palms here. Create a little friction by rubbing the hands together. Then place them over the eyes. And massage the eyes, give gratitude to the eyes for what they offer us. Thank them for their essential personnel status. Then open the eyes in the palms of the hands. See the darkness in the hands. Lower the hands down. Let in the light. Thank you, Reggie. That was beautiful. It felt um, very practical, very embodied, and very relevant. <laughs> check, check, check. There we go, a star. I think that's that's the whole purpose of our practice, isn't it? I think that's what jumped out at me when I saw your profile. I was like, ah, yoga in the real world, you know? Right. This is yoga right now in this world that's messy and polarized and angry and fearful and that's calling out crap. And then, but here's a practice that is standing in the center going, but and i have my presence i'm working on myself i'm calling it out i'm keeping my heart open and that's so hard isn't it so hard to keep your heart open when you're seeing all this stuff that's happening the world over and and we don't have time to talk about it so you're going to have to come back but um, i want to talk to you another time about you know how we can make these changes within yoga communities because it's important the wider world but you know it starts with us and then within our immediate community and then the wider world of the bigger community that, we, that we're all inhabiting. Yeah, the Will one thing I'll say, in, yeah, in conclude, I'll definitely would love to come back and just in conclusion, because you can't ask me a question like that and I can't comment. <laughs> um, so we have to begin seeing ourselves as part of the community and not a part of from the community, a part of, not a part from. Right. And so, like, if you view yourself as a part of a community, you're willing to engage. Mm -hmm. 
you're willing to create opportunities for connection. If you see yourself separate from or apart from, it's a club. Yeah. And just to add to that, that community needs to be somewhere that you can feel vulnerable in. Yeah. And show your vulnerabilities in, because otherwise you just don't grow. Do you? No. You know, you yeah. just keep hiding or you keep avoiding. But being in that place where you can be vulnerable with other people and they can hold you when sometimes you need to hold them as well is the most yep. powerful thing that we could ever do for ourselves, isn't it? Especially right now. Yeah. Well, this has been lovely, friends. Yeah, thank you, Reggie. It's been absolutely fantastic. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. Um, thank you, Dawn, as ever, for your wonderful questions. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, um, please do let us know. If you have questions, if there's things that you want to raise or things that you didn't like about it, just let us know. We're willing to take on all questions and all, all answers will be provided to you. Um, please do let us know. Um, if you have an opportunity to go onto that Apple podcast app and rate us, you can do that there. And until next time, thank you, Reggie. Thank you, Dawn. And thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.